<laughs> Did you miss me? I hope so. I'm very grateful that I was able to do this episode because I almost didn't make it. If you follow me on TikTok or any of the social medias, really TikTok, because that's where I spend most of my time these days. I at sting like a bee, B-E-A as in B Arthur, not Beebs the bee. Um I have been my show is being audited so I've been more focused on that and like trying not to fail my audit and like get fired and stuff <laughs> and so you know that's been that's been like the highlight of my last few weeks actually but I'm very grateful that I was able to finish this episode so if you're tuning in to I swear to drunk I'm not god this is season two episode nine and we're gonna do a part two-parter two-parter um part one part two on the disappearance of Susan Powell Cox now Susan or I'm sorry Susan Cox Powell Susan Cox Powell um was actually an idea that was you know given to me by my mother duh I told you all I stopped watching true crime all the time and now I only do it on a case-by-case situation when I'm doing this show because it's just too much to kind of inject into your veins all the time. So I try to kind of, you know, keep it, keep it limited. And, um, you know, this is going to be an interesting one. It's a two-parter, not just because I was running out of time because I was, I'm transparent. I'll be honest. I I was, but it's a two-parter also because there was a lot of moving parts here. Okay. Um, now for this episode, I read a book. It was called If I Can't Have You by Greg Olson and Rebecca Morris. And then I watched a two part docuseries called The Disappearance of Susan Cox Powell on Oxygen. It was very, very interesting. And um, my mother had told me about this back in like December, but um, I didn't plan on exploring it. And then when, I, you know, it was, of course, it was down to the wire. And I was like, Oh, my God, I need a topic. I literally hit her up last week. And I was like, I've been so focused on this audit. I don't have a topic. And she was like, Well, you could do it on Susan Powell. And I was like, Who the fuck is that? <laughs> she was like, I told you this story 15 fucking times. So yeah, so that's who we're talking about today. And the poison this episode is actually the Negroni Spagliato. I don't know if you you've ever had it before. Um, Swagliato is actually Italian for mistake. Uh, the origin, the person who made this cocktail originally accidentally grabbed the Prosecco instead of the gin and trip fail ran into a new cocktail. So um, what you'll need is, well, I added gin to my drink, but you need four ounces of Prosecco or sparkling wine. You need one ounce of gin, if you're like me, one ounce of sweet vermouth and a half ounce of Campari. Top it off with club soda and then garnish it with a, a lime wheel. Um, now you would pour the pour, the Prosecco in an ice filled wine glass first, and then you'll add the gin, the vermouth, the Campari and the cl- and then top off excuse me, top off with club soda because I've already had three of these. Top off with club soda and you're good to go. Okay. All right. You got yourself a Negroni Spagliato. Cheers. I just told my homeboy about this this weekend. He was like, what the fuck is that? I was like, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I be extra sometimes. (laughs) Same homeboy that told me I was extra. So 
he said that I was a lot. So, you know, I don't give a fuck, but you know, I thought it was an interesting assessment of who I am. I've actually been told that I've been uh, that I'm a lot by my own sister. So I wasn't a hundred percent surprised that he said it. I, you know, I was more so just surprised that like, damn, I thought like you were as a lot as I am, but I was wrong as fuck. So, you know, um, <laughs> people, people, I am a lot. I'm not gonna lie. The security girl at my office was like, where are you going? Cause I'm, I'm just like always crazy dressed. Um, I'm always doing what I want to do, but anyway, I'm sorry. I was sending a text message that was unprofessional. Um, okay. So let's talk about, thank you for coming. I swear to drunk. I'm not God. If you listen to me a little bit, I don't know. I don't know who listens to me. I get the numbers and I try not to pay attention to them because I don't want my ego to get inflated or deflated. So I just kind of I'm like, eh, OK, 200 people listen. Great. You know what I mean? I don't really care. You already know that I'm not really trying to get famous off of this. I like truly finding cool topics or interesting topics I hate to say cool but you know interesting topics and then sharing them with you I'm actually putting the work in it so when you're folding your fucking laundry or you're driving into work that you have something to do like really I'm doing it for you I'm doing it for you so we you know it is what it is um so let's 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 get into it we're gonna start from the beginning take a sip I'm, oh, and also I'm by myself. Luna is even in, you know, Luna is currently in the living room sleep. So she doesn't even give a fuck about this episode. Mm. Okay. Negroni Spagliato is fantastic. All right, let's do it. Part one, season two, episode nine. Three Spagliatos in. I've been drinking all fucking week. It's, oh, I'm exhausted. I didn't see that coming. Okay, let's do this. Let's, let's let's get this let's get this show on the road. Now, Susan Powell was born October sixteenth, nineteen eighty one, in Alamo Gordo, New Mexico, to Judy and Chuck and Chuck Cox. Chuck and Judy seemed to have a pretty normal marriage. Um, and while Chuck was not raised Mormon. When Chuck met Judy, he joined the Mormon church. Quote, Chuck discovered that the teenagers he saw who didn't do drugs and treated people well happened to be members of LDS, Latter-day Saints. So he joined at 17 years old and married Judy right after high school. Now, Susan was the third of four girls. There was Mary, Denise, Susan, and Marie. Her father was a staff sergeant. Uh, working in the air, caf- air, air traffic control tower at Holloman Air Force Base. After six years, Chuck left and moved to Alaska, then off to Vancouver, Washington, then to pile up, pile up, sure, Washington, just east of Tacoma. He was taking a job as an investigator for the FAA. 
While in Washington, Susan wanted to begin a career as a hairstylist. She and her sister Denise had the idea of starting a hair salon slash pet grooming salon called, wait for it, The Beauty and Your Beast. If that ain't the cutest shit I have ever heard, I'm obsessed. Like, Literally, because I could see myself getting my locks twisted next to Luna. You know, Luna can do whatever she want to do. So (laughs) Susan always had fun doing her sister's and her mom's hair. And eventually she would go to beauty school and practice with her sisters. Now, she would practice on her sister's hair, not practice with her sisters. But this was in her teenage years. And at 19, Susan found herself attending LDS singles events. This was in 2000. Here, she would meet Joshua Powell. Now, Joshua Powell was born January 20th, 1976. He was one of five children to Steve and Terry Powell. His siblings were Josh, Johnny, Mike, and Alina. And when Josh was 16, his parents would get divorced. Now, Steve and Terry were Mormon as well. They lived a lower middle-class lifestyle, but the the household was nothing like Susan's. Susan's was more put together. Terry had three children. She had also had a miscarriage in two and a half years. Steve, at this time, worked at a grocery store to make ends meet. Over time, uh, Steve would leave the church and by 19, he was living with his, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Joshua was living with his father who turned anti-Mormon and made sure his children were as well. And I want to emphasize this because there's a bit of a difference between deciding to leave a particular church and being anti that church. Those are two totally different things. Now, Josh didn't even do any mission work after high school, which is normal in the Mormon faith. Even though Josh was uh, no longer in the church, he had completely, he hadn't completely denounced the faith. So going to an LDS singles event was not out of the ordinary. So when Josh met Susan, it was odd. You know, they were two totally different people with two totally different backgrounds. Susan was magnetic. She was well-liked. Josh was not. People thought he was fucking annoying and he talked too much, which, you know, I just learned one of my friends felt that way about me. Um, No, (laughs) JK, JK. It was a joke. It was a joke. No, my friends don't think that way about me. It was a joke. Um... But I do talk too much. Whatever. I don't give a fuck. If you don't want to hear me talk, then fucking turn the podcast off. That's all I can tell you. Because I'm not going to stop talking just because you don't want to hear me talk. Like, seriously? Anyway. So Judy and Chuck, on the other hand, were not all that impressed with Josh. Josh had already tried to date Susan's older sister, Mary. He showed up at their house the night of Mary's prom. And even though she had a date already, he planned on sitting there talking to Judy, the mom, about how great Mary was, which is like creep. Huh? <laughs> like you were just like, I'm gonna do what the fuck I want to do. I don't give a fuck if this whole dude is here to pick her up for prom. I'm gonna sit here and talk to her mama about how gracious she is. And hopefully her mom will feel different. Mm. Well, I'm gonna tell you her dad didn't feel different. Chuck came in and was like, you need to get the fuck up out of here. Josh just sat there. He didn't get it. 
blank stare, kept talking, didn't give a fuck. And even after that weirdness, Susan uh, told she she fell for him. She 100 percent fell for him. She was like, oh, yummy. Don't know how that happened, but okay. Josh was, um, how do we put this? Overbearing and obnoxious. Quote, I had a bad feeling about him. This is what Judy said. Susan didn't care at all. Her mom just felt like she needed to date more people. She wanted her to enjoy herself before settling into something. Susan said, quote, I am making a lot of friends. Just Josh just happens to be one of them. Her mother told her, quote, you date him, but date others too. Don't get serious with Josh. There are more guys out there. Take a year and really discover that, which I think is great advice because, you know, I've done it, you know, where you kind of just like fall into like a situation with somebody and everybody is like, why the fuck are you with this person? You know what I mean? But you're like, eh. He's cool. And there are aspects of people that you feel like you know more than everybody else. And you do, you know, because at the end of the day, ain't nobody, ain't nobody sitting up here motherfucking, uh, sitting next to you, asshole naked, having a conversation about their personal life. Like your family isn't there for any of that. So can we talk about that for a minute? Pause. Cause I'm drunk. <laughs> I want to talk about that for a minute. Extend some grace to women who are in situations with men who feel like they know more about the men than you do. Because they do know a more, more about the men than you do. Whether or not that is the true nature of the man is totally up for debate. But when you really think about it, you fuck a dude. And a dude is laying next to you, asshole naked, telling his whole soul. And you feel like you know a person. This is how you get wrapped up in that shit. You know, parents would be like, or even friends, you don't know him. Nick, what you mean I don't know him? What you mean? He told me everything about his life. Depending on the type of woman you are, of course. He's told me everything about him. I know about his insecurities. I know about his flaws. I know about his friends. I know about his mama. I know about his cousin. And unless he's lying, unless he's lying, that's what he told me. You know, people kind of like, you know, oh, but he said that. Yeah, he said that. And he keeps saying that. Those are two totally different experiences. Like there are sometimes you interact. Like I happen to be one of those people. People feel very comfortable with me. And so when people feel comfortable with me, sometimes they tell me information about themselves that they wouldn't tell anyone else. And that is totally fine. I can handle it. Right. I don't share that information with the people that know about this situation, but it doesn't mean that I do not know the person that I was sleeping with. Now, there is also the likelihood that the person that you were sleeping with is lying, you know, but <clears throat> don't act like I didn't do my due diligence. I can't change who lies to me. You know, like I can't change who lies to me. I can only say that I asked all the questions and they answered the question. The questions were answered and the questions were suitable. And those questions I assessed. 
And I was able to, you know, sort through and be like, do I want to fuck with this person or not? And then with that, I decided that I want to fuck with this person or not. Like, extend some grace to women that sleep with men, because I will tell you, or who people who sleep with people, whoever you're sleeping with is going to tell you a lot of shit. And unless you have one of those very disconnected internet sexual romances where a motherfucker is just like comes in your house, he don't even know your name, he fucks you and then leaves, unless that is the situation, a lot of the time there is pillow talk. And unless he's a pathological liar, like Risa fucking Tisa husband, like lesion, then there's the possibility that you're getting the information and that is what you're basing your decision on. And I feel like sometimes outsiders will see a situation and they'll be like, but you don't know him. Motherfucker, I've been fucking this dude for six months. He's told me his entire life story. I've gotten high with him. I've gotten drunk with him. We've done things together. We've been out. He's told me about his dad. He's talking about his mom. He's talking about his cousin. I think that's, I think it's so unfair how we sometimes treat women where we do this thing was like, bitch, you don't even know him. Yes, you, you thought you did. Whether you truly know him is something different, but you thought you did. And whether a motherfucker knows somebody for two weeks or two years, you will never truly know anybody because all you know is what they're willing to tell you. So I'm just saying that to say, like, we need to start ex- like extending some grace for women who feel like they know who their partner is, you know? Sip. I understand Susan's mom for wanting her to not settle into Josh. Right. Like, you know, because at the end of the day, Susan's mom also knows Susan. So she knows you don't, you know, you're young. You you should, you should play around a little more before you solidify this. And I agree with her wholeheartedly, but you know, sometimes people be like, I just have a bad feeling about him. There's always those underlying things that you, as the person who is in the situation, feel like, you know, that is kind of validating your decision in that moment. And it makes the decision feel way more ironclad. Cause you're like, fuck, I know this dude. I've already talked to him. We already know. I already know. I already know. Now in this case, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't go great. So this is a true crime podcast. So I think it's safe to say that it doesn't go great. So Susan's mom, I, I kind of went on a tangent, but kind of not. But, you know, let me cook because I'm drunk. So Susan, after she told, I'm sorry, Judy, after she told Susan this, um, of course, Susan's putting all her energy into defending this idea of Josh because like Susan is very magnetic, you know, she's, she's one of those people. Everybody likes to be around. Everybody likes, everybody just fucks with. She's very cute. You know what I mean? She's friendly. Um, but when she meets Josh, her parents are just like, blah, you know, 
I mean, <laughs> you know, and I, I will say that I do, I, I am going forward at that point where I'm like, if my mama got a bad feeling about a motherfucker, I'm backing out. It is what it is. Because I don't know if my mom should have enrolled in Hogwarts, but she won't be 100% wrong. That's the thing about her. And when she meets Josh, well, actually, Josh is into her older sister at first. Hold on. Luna, what's the problem, mommy? You want to come over here with me? Luna is being Luna. <laughs> but anyway, so Josh is into her older sister at first, which I was like, okay, that's mad weird. Um, but anyway, so her mom is like telling her, like, you should explore. Uh, Chuck also wanted to tell Susan, you know, like, yo, what the fuck? But as a father of four, he's like, of four girls specifically, he's like, this is a bad fucking idea. Because if I know anything, these girls are going to date whoever the fuck they want to date. Now, she would just go harder, you know, to try to be with whoever she wanted to be because her father didn't want want her to be with him. And at that time, Josh had everything a good suitor would he had a job he had an apartment he was planning to finish college he was trying to get a business degree he was hopeful and Judy would later say that Susan married him because she she felt sorry for him you know she thought that she could make him happy she thought she could change him which as we know you should not marry your projects that was mistake number one now they would eventually get engaged. The families were incredibly different. Above, they didn't spend much time together. Susan's family was Mormon. Josh's family was anti-Mormon. Steve was just like Josh. He loved to talk. He was a know-it-all. And Chuck would later say, I didn't make an effort to talk with him, and they never made an effort to talk to us. Simple as that. Now, one thing they made an effort at the good old uh, old country buffet (laughs) at the old country buffet. A few hours before they were to be married, Steve, the groom's father, was to pay the bill, but was very upset, even though Susan's family was paying for the wedding. And then on April 6, 2001, Josh and Susan tied the knot at LDS Temple in Lake Oswego. A lot of Josh's family didn't attend the actual ceremony since they were not Mormons and were attend and weren't attending the services. <coughs> Excuse me. During the reception, Josh spent most of the time taking pictures with his subservient sister, Elena, on his heels at every turn. Now, Steve was overheard by Susan saying, quote, well, she's no lawyer or doctor, but she'll do. Like, bitch, what the fuck does that even mean? Susan knew what this meant. She said, quote, well, this isn't a quote, but this is what she said. She'll do well enough so Josh wouldn't have to work. That's problem number one that I have with Susan, but we'll keep going. Then Steve says, quote, 
Josh, she's going to divorce you, divorce you someday. Early accounts of the relationship show that they were pretty close and they were in love. And Susan was fucking delighted. So why would he say that? The parents, the other in-laws, Susan's parents were sitting here like, why the fuck would anybody say that to a newlywed? Eventually, Josh and Susan would move into an apartment. She ends up working at Regis Salon because she was she wanted to be a hairstylist. But her goal was to start having children. Many times they were not able to make ends meet and would have to move in with Steve. So Josh was employed. He was working at Verco, which was a manufacturing company. He was working there with Steve um, where they sold furniture. But Josh and Susan would eventually move to Olympia to train as managers for an assistant living facility. And the problem was really never Susan. The problem was Josh. People couldn't stand him or being around him for long periods of time. Susan's parents were becoming increasingly more nervous about his mental health. They felt like sometimes, sometimes he wasn't all there. He was also incredibly inconsiderate. He would intentionally show up to events late with a blatant disregard of, of other people's time and struggle to emphasize to empathize with other people in general. Now, by 2003, Josh and Susan um, were off to West Valley, Utah, not too far from Josh's sister, Jennifer, and his mom, Terry. To bridge the gap, they moved in with Jennifer for three months. And Jennifer would later say that Josh was controlling, but Susan wasn't really any better. She was very snippy with Josh. She would demand things of him. She would yell at him. And there was even a time Susan hit him with which Jennifer was vehemently against. Their their marriage was already starting to crumble. Setting up the new life in Utah will ordinarily be fun for any newlywed couple, but the neighbors next door, Kersey and John, started to see where the cracks were. Susan would share with Kersey the real reason why they moved from Washington, which was Josh's father. They wanted to get as far away from Josh's father as they fucking could. Susan shared how living with Steve was uncomfortable because he was always there and he was always watching her. And one time she caught him watching her get dressed and even tried to kiss her. She thought Steve was creepy as fuck and she thought he was nasty. He had even sent her a box of pictures when she moved to Utah. She thought they were pictures of her favorite actor, Mel Gibson, but they weren't. They were not. They weren't guess what they were. Sip. Steve that same year told her he was in love with her. Steve, her husband's father. Now, Judy wanted Susan to go to the police, but Susan was against it because it's her father-in-law. Judy didn't care. Judy didn't fucking care. Neither did Chuck. Chuck was like, what the fuck? Why haven't you reported this? Why are you not trying to get away from him? And starting in 2002, Steve had been making inappropriate uh, advances to Susan. Susan was 21 at the time. Steve, Steve was 53. He wrote 
2,330 pages in different notebooks about how much he desired her and how, quote, falling in love with her was both his greatest problem and his greatest pleasure, end quote. Steve would even call his actions so sociopathic. He called his own actions sociopathic. He sociopathic. He even admitted that his actions were sick, which were secretly uh, videotaping her and masturbating while he watched the tapes. He masturbated every morning and every evening. Now, here's the thing. Okay, it's creepy when a father-in-law do it, but it's not creepy when I do it. Because if I don't. If I don't take care of myself twice a day, I'm going to die. That's just full transparency. Should you be masturbating to your own daughter-in-law? Absolutely fucking not. But I'm just saying, like, if you have to take care of yourself in the morning and the evening, evenings are actually more important to me because I'm nocturnal. Like, if I don't, <laughs> you can tell I'm fucked up. <clears throat> anyway, he had hundreds of photos of her and most without her knowledge. And in his journal, he writes, quote, I am in so much pain right now. I don't know where to turn with it. I spoke to Elena, who has been very supportive of my infatuation or obsessions. Her advice was to accept that Susan is a quote unquote player. And that is what players do. They lead guys on. You know, let's talk about this. I'm a sip. I. This whole idea of like, oh, she's, you know, she's a player. It's like, she's not a fucking player. You're just a horny asshole. <laughs> like, you're just an asshole. And at the end of the day, you're reading into it way too much. I'm one of those people that I do not know people are flirting with me until they've flirted. Like, because I prefer human to human interactions. And if sex comes with it, then I feel if sex is true, then sex will come mutually. It won't be one sided. So if you pick up what I'm truly putting down, you may be very, very attracted to me, but that does not necessarily mean that I'm a quote unquote player because you just want to fuck me. That those are two totally different feelings. You know, people have tried to put me in that box. You know, here's the thing. Like I ain't no fucking supermodel, but people tend to be energetically attracted to me in a certain way. You know, I always joke. I'm like, I got more, I got stretch marks everywhere except my face. <clears throat> I ain't sitting up here trying to act like I'm a goddamn, you know, TikTok model or Instagram model. Like I, I would never, but people find themselves attracted to me in a certain way. That doesn't make me a player. That just means you're attracted to me. And in, in, if you are an attractive person in that, in that way, sometimes people are attracted to you and they just don't know why. That's just it. It's not, it's not any more complicated than that. It doesn't make me a player. It doesn't mean that I'm sitting around trying to figure out ways to manipulate men because I don't do that. I really don't. I don't think I care about men enough to manipulate them. But if I did... Um, and if I manipulated them, I wouldn't be paying my own rent. 
But, you know, at the same time, it's very interesting to think about where it's like, oh, well, she's a player. That's what players do. That's what insecure. That's a badge that insecure women put on other women. That's what I see. You know, he's talking to his own daughter about this shit, which is also incredibly creepy. Like, what the fuck? Like, why are you even talking to your daughter about this? Why? Why would she support your your infatuation or obsession? Why is she even accepting? Why is she even giving you an advice to say, oh, well, you should you should accept the fact that Susan is a player. Susan, even if she is a player. It's quite obvious to me Susan's not a player. She was just minding her own motherfucking business. You just happen to be attracted to her. And because you don't know how to control yourself, you want to put the badge of her being a player on it because you want to make it seem like it's fucking black magic when it's really just your dick got hard because you're attracted to her. You know? Historically, people love using black uh, female sexuality as like magic. It's not magic. You like coochie. That's why you're interested. You like the way her face looks. You like the way maybe you like her body. Maybe you like her personality. I don't know. But there's something about her that's attracting you. It's not magic. It just is. It's not deeper than that. Trying to make it seem like it's some fucking, you know, fucking science like it's alchemy it's not alchemy you know that's what players do she's not a fucking player like what are we talking about if she was a player she wouldn't have settled to this loser that she's she's settling into susan you know susan didn't want anything from steve and at this point she wanted josh to break off contact with him because she found him creepy as fuck And when Steve found out they were moving to Utah, he was sick. He was like, today has been an emotionally sick day. Knowing that Susan will not be coming here. Maybe never again. She ain't even fucked him. She ain't even fucked him. This is all based on the thought of fucking Susan. (laughs) Like. Mm. you know now josh would eventually pull back from his father while he was in utah and would only contact him when he absolutely had to but steve's affinity for susan didn't really change steve wrote 50 songs about susan and then put them on a website called quote i said i love you under his artist name steve chantry I said, I love you. Is that a crime? I love you. So put me in jail. Who's going to listen to that song? That song that sounds sound like trash. Now, by summer 2004, Susan was pregnant with her first child. Steve was upset because he didn't hear it directly from Susan and because he was the last to know. Now, the marriage itself was already in the toilet. Josh stopped being affectionate and instead directed his energy towards ways to control Susan. He even tried to cut off the money she earned, even though she was trying to help pay off his student loans at the beginning of the marriage. There's nothing worse than a motherfucker who's absolutely ungrateful. That's how you, that's how, that's what makes you want to fucking like burn a bitch. 
is because when you're with somebody and they are ab- absolutely ungrateful to, you know, like shit, the things that you sacrificed and shit. And then they play that whole role of like, I never asked for it. Fuck you, bitch. You didn't not take it, though. That doesn't change the fact that I gave it to you because you didn't ask for it because you could have just not you should you could have said no 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 don't do that but you took it you know you took it so what you mean she was paying your student loans in the beginning of the marriage but then when she started bringing money into the house you wanted to control everything Now, Josh couldn't even hold down a fucking job. So they decided to go to marriage counseling because she wanted to have a conversation with who she thought was a specialist in this regard. Susan's friends kept telling her to leave him because they thought that he was very controlling and emotionally abusive, but she decided to make it work. Josh eventually stopped going to counseling and he refused medication and they believed that Josh was suffering from bouts of paranoia. He claimed that he didn't want to take the meds because he didn't want the manic depression meds to show up on his employment record, which I'm like, do they even do that? I don't know. I don't work in a real corporate environment. In the Mormon church, husbands are supposed to be the breadwinners and women are the homemakers. The goal in the church is to manage a happy home. This was not happening in the Powell household. No one fucking like Josh. They found him selfish and immature. They really only tolerated him for Susan's sake. He tried to do what other, excuse me, he tried to do what others did and start a real life in Utah. They both got jobs with Fidelity Investments. Susan worked the phone bank and Josh was in IT. Josh pushed Susan to get her broker's license even, but After two weeks, Josh was over it. He complained about how old the computers were and how the company needed to make some procedural changes. And Chuck, Susan's father, tried to check Josh by telling him to stop acting up. Then Fidelity phased out Josh's job and he was like, oh, every time Josh lost a job, he would threaten a lawsuit or go to HR without claiming any responsibility for his part in it. Josh was just a fucking loser. Susan is now the breadwinner while Josh played with his computers and she was still expected to cook too. It is around this time that Susan suspects that Josh is watching porn and even examined his computer with a a friend, but he had firewalls to prevent her from seeing in the background. Hmm. Steve is wishing that Susan leaves Josh. He knew that at some point she'd get sick of paying all those bills. Josh was the absolute fucking worst. And Susan didn't mince words when talking about their marriage to her friends. She told Josh that, quote, he is uh, so controlling. He controls everything I do. He won't let me spend money on meat on anything. He has to have accounting of every dime. End quote. He would also use sex or the lack of it as punishment. Quote, if I do anything he thinks is wrong, he punishes me. He says, quote, 
I can't believe you did that. No more sex for three months, end quote. He would even start acting like he was repulsed by her. Tim, Josh's friend, would even attempt to talk to him about changes he should make. And Josh just brushed him off. Tim looked at Josh very differently. And the Josh he knew in Washington was not the one he knew in Utah. So much so that they called them two different names. There was Washington Josh and there was Utah Josh. Looming in the background was Steve's creepy ass starting to, you know, he's talking to Josh again, spending hours on the phone discussing God knows what. Josh and Steve were able to patch their relationship. There's no telling if Susan knew about this. Now, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. And by 2008, Susan was absolutely fucking miserable. Quote, Susan would sometimes call friends to ask if she could borrow hot dogs. She'd say, the boys are hungry. I came home from work on Saturday and felt so depressed. I couldn't make a decent dinner for the boys. The only protein we have is hot dogs. Me making eggs or planning ahead and soaking beans and doing the beans and rice thing. So I just kept trying to disguise their food with sour cream and ketchup, etc., And finally lay down in bed and went to sleep around 7 p.m. Now, I've never been married. I'm a tread lightly. But this is what I do know. I... I should have pressed... I should have prefaced this. I'm not going to sit up here and pretend like I wasn't judging the fuck out of Susan this entire episode because I was very pissed because I felt like there were a lot of things uh, that she ignored that she saw was happening that and then she had a lot of outs she she had a lot of people that was willing to help her she had a lot of people who were who was there for her she had a lot of people who loved her and she had a lot of people who truly did not want her to be in this relationship anymore and she chose to be in this relationship and i'm not going to lie because i like to be transparent i lost all sorts of empathy for Susan. I know she's the victim here. I know she's the one that disappeared. But when you read this book and you see how many people gave her, extended her a lifeline and she dismissed it, I could not figure out whether or not she was mentally imbalanced herself or if she was just fucking just flat out stupid. I couldn't tell. I've told you all before I was in my own situation that was pretty precarious that I had, I didn't ignore it. I knew it was happening. It was just that I was so terrified that I was not willing to bust any uh, random moves because I didn't want to create 
I didn't want to send off alarms to the person that I feared. But that was also because I didn't tell anybody what was going on for real. Susan told everybody what was going on. Everybody. Everybody knew that Josh was a piece of shit. Everybody knew that Josh was treating her poorly. Everybody knew that. She ignored it so many fucking times that I could not literally while we're reading this book be like, I mean, no. At what point do we hold the victim accountable? You know, we live in a society where we're like, oh, well, it's victim shaming and it's shaming. It's not. Yes. It, you know what? Fuck it. It is shaming and shame them. Shame them. It's accountability. You fucked up. Unfortunately, she's not here to learn that lesson. So you can't go in too hard. But if we're being 100% fucking honest, there were too many fucking signs of this guy being a dickhead. And she said, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to stick beside him. Okay. Well, when he started dotting your eyes and crossing your motherfucking T's, is it his fault or your fault? Is it his fault or your fault? Who's supposed to be the real one? Who's supposed to be the logical one? Who's supposed to be the smart one? You or him? Because where we could easily draw the line in moments like this is that you were supposed to be the same one. He's the one that's mentally ill. He can't control his chemical. His, he got a chemical imbalance. This shit is out of whack. <clears throat> but you were supposed to be the one that, were on, that was on the level. So why the fuck? Didn't you leave? When people asked me that, I told them quite simply, well, I didn't tell a lot of people what was going on with me. But had I told a lot of people what was going on to me, I guarantee you they would have told me to leave. And I guarantee you that at some point I would have left. Did you have kids? No, I did not have kids. Then that's different. No, it isn't. That's actually even more. Having kids is even more of a reason to leave. Because it's not a matter of keeping you safe. It's a matter of keeping you and your kids safe. So is your ego more important than the safety of your children? That's all. Because I'll tell you what. The situation I went through in 2022, I'm not doing that shit again. Absolutely not. I'd rather be alone. I'd rather be alone and dickless than to endure that again. Mark my motherfucking words. Before I let a dude feel like he, well, first of all, what frustrated my last situation so much that he acted like a dickhead is because he couldn't emotionally manipulate me because I'm not a nut. I was being resistant. And I'm going to be blunt. I think something's wrong with Susan. Oh, well, it's religion. Mm. We'll see. The church will help her pay for those groceries that she needed 
They would help her pay for her utilities. And in return, they had her perform church services and Susan would do it, but Josh would not. And once Josh, Josh was overheard telling someone that Charlie, their son, quote, gets one meal a day at daycare. That's all he needs. You can give him formula and that's it. You are not wasting my food on him because he's just going to poop it out. This motherfucker would give her $20 and tell her to go buy groceries for the week. Josh wanted all of Susan's money to go to their joint account. But he would constantly change the passwords so he would rarely have money for food or diapers. This is how he controlled her. Money, food, sex, not letting her drive the car. And then attempting to turn the boys against her. Quote, do you want to go to boring, boring church with mommy or do you want to stay home and have cake with daddy? A child is always going to choose cake. His control in nature showed up in front of two new friends when he would brag about how wonderful his spreadsheet for tracking household expenses were. Susan was to enter every item she spent into the computer. And if an item was higher than what she spent the week before, he would raise hell. He would get so mad that he would stop giving her money for food. Mind you, I don't know if you remember, this is her money. He does not work. She still made excuses for him for, to her friends. Quote, I'm not worried. I think he'll be a good dad. Her friend asked, why do you think that? Susan said, because of what he, the, because of the way he acts with our bird. Ex- excuse me? Josh had a parrot. He had a parrot that he took everywhere. This motherfucker parrot he took to a New Year's Eve party. I'm going to tell you right now, if I invite you to a New Year's Eve party and you take you bring a motherfucking bird in my house, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Because what you mean, first of all, birds fly above and they shit on people. Why the fuck are you bringing this bird in my house? The fuck you talking about? Why are you bringing this bird in my house? He even talked like a baby to the bird. Now, I talk like a baby to my dog, but I acknowledge that Luna is a fucking dog. I acknowledge that Riley is a dog. Then Susan, she gets, you know, she's pregnant. And she has Charles Joshua Powell on January 19, 2005. Now, uh, Josh did not show up to the hospital. Thankfully for her, thank, thankfully, sorry, her parents showed up to the hospital. They flew in to be there for her pregnancy as a parent would. Josh was too busy. He was on his computer to drive it to the hospital. And when he did show up hours later, he brought his laptop with him and Chuck had to force Josh to hold her hand while she was in labor. She says, quote, brace yourself. See, dad, he does care. Ugh. 
In 2006, Susan was pregnant again. <coughs> Her parents were beyond fucking disappointed. They felt like a second child would make it harder for her to leave him. Her father asked, why would you do that twice? Susan, oh, dad, don't say that. Chuck told her, you have to get rid of Josh and get a real person for a husband. She said, everything will be better. Well, we will soon find out that that is not true. At the same time, Susan feels like she may have to let Josh go. On a road trip with their friends, Susan packed a secret bag just in case she needed to bail. And on that same road trip, Josh would only let Susan order from the dollar menu. He would order himself more food and would only allow her a little bit. It got to the point where their friends would slip her extra food. Their energy was so off that they were passing it on to their friends. And Kiersey and John felt it was best to dial it back. We can't be around these motherfuckers like that because they are negative as shit. And they're fucking up our situation. We can't even be in the presence of this for real. Susan was becoming increasingly more uncomfortable with Steve's presence. Josh would talk on the phone with him for hours. And she noticed that this made Josh worse. Now, Braden Timothy Powell was born January 2nd, 2007. And instead of keeping the second car, he bought Susan a bike. She biked seven miles each way to get to work. When Josh was confronted with how fucking ridiculous this was uh, for her to ride a bike, uh, he decided to ride a bike to work himself and realized that, it, yeah, it did suck. That wasn't great. He spent $1,500 to motorize the bike. Then it got cold. Because Utah. And he gave up. So he decided to drive himself. But when it was time to pick her up and the boys as well, he would leave them stranded a lot. Apparently, Joshua didn't like Susan. And the boys, he didn't like them both alone in a van because he believed that this was because he was afraid he and the boys she and the boys would leave josh was really starting to act crazy one christmas he refused to give her money to buy gifts now what's alarming is how much money he was willing to spend on life insurance because they had two policies one for $1 million and the other for two point five, And that one included the boys. Then he took Susan to a lawyer and had her sign a power of attorney so he could handle matters on her behalf in the event she became incapacitated or dead. Steve would later write in his journal, quote, Josh talked on and on very openly about how he would love to get rid of her. He is not attracted to her. He said he daydreams about having someone come to his door to report that she was killed by a drunk driver. That is very specific. 
Nigga, if you are daydreaming about me being killed by a drunk driver, I am going to say that I am going to have to stop fucking with you. Now, share that with me. Share that with me. Why y'all be with people that you don't like? Why y'all be with people you don't like? If... If this was a car that you don't like and you could afford to get rid of it, wouldn't you get rid of it? If it was an apartment that you didn't like and you can afford to leave, wouldn't you leave? Why do y'all keep hitch- hitching yourselves to carts that you don't like? I'm trying to figure it out. I had a motherfucker. This is funny. This is a segue. I don't feel no particular way about this, but I'm going to tell you. I had a motherfucker reach out to me or hit me up in a gym. And he he pretended like he liked me, which is cool, whatever. Like, he ain't the first person to pretend. And then he fell off the face of the fucking earth. I don't care, but one of my biggest issues is always the fact that why would you even attempt to play where it's not safe? You know, I find it fascinating when people put themselves in a predicament where they have to, where they are in a position to fuck with somebody that they can't really fuck with. Josh is a hundred percent out of this one woman lead. And by the way, she's a little bit of a loser herself, but okay. At the same time, you know, she's, she's not completely, you know, a mess, but she, she ain't him. Why are you hitching yourself to that car? I'm just learning that it's best to just leave everybody alone. Do whatever you want to do. I don't want you sitting around imagining me being hit by a drunk driver and shit. You know, I don't want you. I don't I don't want people playing with me. You either like me or you don't like me. Why is that so hard? Do you like me? Did Josh like Susan? I don't, you know, I don't fuck. Do do you like Susan? Because I'm not getting love vibes. So do you like her a little bit? Steve would later go on, Josh's father. Josh talked on and on very openly about how he would love to get rid of her. He is not attracted to her. He said the daydreams about having someone come to this door to report that she was killed by a drunk fucking driver. What? Leave me alone before you pray for my demise. I'm going to tell you right now, my ex-boyfriend hated my fucking guts towards the end. Rightfully so, because I was a nuisance towards the end, because he was a nuisance. Reaction. For every action, there's an equal equal reaction. I'm not about to, or equal or opposite reaction. I'm not about to sit up here and act like this nigga was perfect. In no way. But if you get the sense that somebody ain't for you, why are you wasting your time?
I said this on Chris Watts. This this story definitely reminded me of the Chris Watts episode because I was like, oh, <clears throat> why didn't this relationship end? Why did this relationship end? You, you, you want you want to be so removed from your wife that you would rather see her dead. You can't wait for the news that she's dead when you could just remove yourself. Meanwhile, Susan is praying for a preg to get pregnant with a girl. To become more attractive to Josh, she made sure she was always put together. She did gain some weight after the pregnancy, obviously. She was, but, you know, she was she was relatively fit. People said that if need be, she could have fucked Josh up because he was scrawny. She was strong. She worked out. He didn't. She had once told her sister about Josh pushing her. And when her sister offered to pick her up, she refused the help and she wrote in an email about how one day he decided to sleep with her quote. He even initiated some intimate time Wednesday night. Shocker. I know funny. It's been so long. It feels like a dream or surreal. And yes, I still love him, care about him and think we can have a happy, loving, functional marriage and be a good example to our kids. Now, at the time, Susan was trying to become a broker. Josh decided he wanted uh, to pursue real estate. So Susan studied with him and then got their license. Uh, he would eventually sell homes, but he was awful at it. You know, his personality was shit. He was annoying. People would, you know, not be able to get him to fulfill all of their requests. He didn't always respond. He was more interested in promoting himself than the actual work. And he even asked his father to create a jingle for him. He once took out a Yellow Pages package, an ad package. The deposit was $83,000 and uh, then it needed to be paid monthly. This package was for ads on buses and other promo materials. And mind you, he's new. So he barely sold anything and he takes out this huge ad, ad package. He claimed the phone number on the magnets were incorrect and that the yellow pages, you know, they told him that he didn't have to pay for it. Well, yellow pages ended up su suing Josh his bright idea was to rack up as much debt as possible on the card so they could file Chapter 7 bankruptcy. He listed over $200,000 in debt on the filing, including student loans. So while that failed, he finessed the system. Josh decides to reach out to a friend to teach him programming. And the friend said, fuck no. Kiersey's husband, actually, John, he was that friend. He was not interested in wasting his time teaching him anything. So Kiersey made an agreement with Josh. If he would go to church once a month and spend 10 minutes with Susan a week, Josh said, I don't know. She asked him to not be on his laptop and just hold her hand. He said, nah, I can't do that. I'm busy. Kiersey said, uh, actually, you're not. 
That's the deal. And with a little more pressure, he agreed. But he didn't stick to it for long. He stopped attending church and he stopped paying Susan any attention. He would eventually get an IT job. Susan was happy for him and hoped it would last. But truly, she was looking into getting a fucking divorce. And with the advice of a divorce attorney, Susan started to tape their their belongings. So she would video record. And on July 29th, 2008, she recorded this video. July 29th, 2008. It is 1233 Mountain Time. Um, covering all my bases, making sure that if something happens to me or my family or all of us, that our assets are documented. Hope everything works out and we're all happy and live happily ever after as much as that's possible. Charlie, say hi. <laughs> Today is Tuesday, July 29th, 2008, and we are in the 6254 West Sur Circle House. This is me. Hi. Sorry. And it is, can you see that? 11.44 a.m. And I am documenting all our assets just in case of any emergencies, fire, flood, damage, disputes. And we have two Samsung monitors. This is Josh's computer and there's some type of backup device and speakers. And here's the kind of pimping out stuff he's done to his computer. He built it himself. I think there's like five hard drives, something about digging raids. There's those for all the computer geeks. And Josh locked this, but this is all of his files. See, locked. Those are his files. And he bought expensive stuff like these are, I think this was like a couple of thousand dollars of like it says graphic design templates by stock layouts or something like that. All right, here's our unfinished basement. We bought 3,000 pounds of wheat and these are buckets of wheat. See? And this one, oops. Chemical free hard white wheat with mint green gum and red wheat with mint gum. So there's a whole bunch of boxes of or buckets of it. Here is a rigid saw. I don't know the difference is I think this is a chop saw. Oh there we go. It says miter saw utility vehicle MSUV. Oh that's the holding thing of it. And there is a shop vac. This is all stuff bought in a year or less through Home Depot on my credit. Josh bought a lot of stuff and then he had to bankrupt it. And then you bought a little bit more on my credit. There's a nice lamp. These are uh, things to roll wood with. The house was a hoarder's dream. It was obvious that Josh was overspending. There was clutter everywhere. And just stuff piled everywhere. She gave the video to her friend, Kiersey, so that Josh wouldn't find it. Susan was afraid uh, 
she wrote an email that same month, quote, every moment I step back and take stock of what I'm dealing with. It feels like a never, excuse me, ending cycle, but I'm too afraid of the consequences, losing my kids, him kidnapping them, divorce or actions worse on our part, on his part. So this is what we know. Between July 2008 and December 2009, several significant events occurred in Susan Powell's life. There were marital problems. Susan Powell's marriage to Josh was reportedly stained during this period. There were reports of marital discord, tensions within the relationships, including disagreements over finances, Josh's control and behavior. Then they moved to Utah in 2008. Susan and Josh moved to West Valley, Utah from their previous residence in Washington State. Then there was the birth of their second son. Susan and Josh welcomed their second son, Braden Powell, in 2009. And this added to the responsibilities and stresses within the family. Financial struggles, the Powell family faced financial difficulties during this time. Joshua Powell, he uh, he declared bankruptcy and the family reportedly struggled to make ends meet. Susan's job, Susan worked as a stockbroker, but it's unclear whether she was still employed during this period. And financial strains may have contributed to the challenges in their relationship. Joshua's behavior. There were reports of Joshua Powell's, Powell's control and domineering behavior, which caused concern among Susan's friends and families. And some accounts suggest that Joshua's isolated Susan from her loved ones and exerted control over her. They did try counseling. The couple reportedly sought counseling, marital counseling, in an attempt to address their relationship issues. However, it's unclear how successful these efforts were in revolving, resolving their problems. Because as we know, Josh is anti-Mormon and he really don't give a fuck about none of this. Then there are Susan's personal journals. Now, Susan maintained a personal journal, which later became a key piece of evidence in the investigation in her disappearance. And injuries in her journal reportedly detail her feelings of fear and apprehension regarding her husband's behavior. Now fast forward a year and a half, December 6, 2009. Susan posted on Facebook, quote, my husband won a digital camera called a flip at his work party last night. What the heck good will that do for us? That morning, Susan Power attended church services at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with two with her two sons, Charlie and Braden in West Valley, Utah. There were no reported issues or disturbances during the service. That afternoon, the Powell family returned home from church in the early afternoon. Susan reportedly spoke with friends and family via phone calls and emails throughout the day. That afternoon, Josh talked to Steve, his father. Giovanna, a friend of Susan, came over to crochet for the boys. Josh was there. He cooked food for Giovanna. Susan told Giovanna that she was having marital counseling. She would sometimes find power by speaking loudly so Josh could hear her. She talked about this openly. 
He was, for some reason, on his best behavior. He wasn't even talking about himself, which is rare because everybody said that this motherfucker talked about himself. At approximately 5.30 p.m., Giovanna got tired and she left. Josh told the boys to get dressed to go sledding. This is believed to be the last confirmed sighting of Susan by anyone outside her immediate family. That evening, around 8.30 p.m., a neighbor saw Josh return home. A few neighbors said, a few hours later, they heard an alarm and a man and a woman arguing. Sometime later, the van exited the garage, but there was no witnesses of this. On December 7th, Debbie Caldwell, the daycare owner who watched the Powell boys, knocked on the door of Susan Powell's home. No one answered. At this point, she had already called Susan. If Susan changed plans, she would have known about it. Then Debbie called Josh's job. Josh hadn't shown up for work. Then she called the emergency contact for Josh's job. Or I'm sorry, she called the emergency contact for both Josh and Susan, which was Jennifer, Josh's sister. She left her a voicemail. Who actually heard the voicemail was not Jennifer. It was Terry because Josh's mother, Terry, was living with Jennifer and her husband. And she had only recently got back on her feet after her her divorce from Josh's father, Steve. Terry and Jennifer headed over to Susan's home. And when Jennifer got there, the police were there. Now, no one had been in or out of the house for several hours. This was a welfare check for now, but they were given permission to break the window. They were actually worried about carbon monoxide, honestly, because at the time there was a surge of carbon monoxide deaths in the area. And when they got in the home, they realized no one was home. Jennifer noticed that despite the clutter, Susan's purse was on the table next to the bed. Her wallet, keys, and credit cards were in the purse. That is a telltale fucking sign. I can't go nowhere without my motherfucking purse. You hear me? I need ID. First of all, yes, I know we have GPay, but I still need ID. You know? Like, I still need ID. I still need my keys. You know, my Costco card's in there. My motherfucking Nordstrom, you know, card is in there so I can get points. My fucking Target card is in there so I can get points. Like, all this shit is in there. I'm not leaving anywhere to take. If you listen to this and you find out I'm motherfucking missing and you come into my apartment and you see my purse is here, I'm dead. Because I'm taking my purse. The only time I don't take my purse if I'm walking Luna. So if Luna ain't here and my purse is here, then that's different. There's a combination of events that matter. But if you see that my dog is here and my purse is here, that's concerning. If my dog's not here and my purse isn't here, that means I left with my dog. If my dog is not here and my purse is here, that means I'm probably walking my dog because I don't carry my purse to walk my dog. Now, then even with my purse being gone, there's levels to my purse being gone. There's my large tote that I carry to work that may still have my wallet in it. 
And then there are certain cars that are very specific to when specific to that I take when I'm going out. Every time I go out and I need to consolidate and I'll take a smaller purse, my purse is usually filled with lip gloss, my eyelash brush, because I have false eyelashes and sometimes they annoy me, my eyelash brush, lip gloss, ID, credit cards, debit card, keys. That's in my going out purse. If you see my motherfucking purse in my house, I am probably dead if my dog is here. Just saying. Don't no woman leave the house without her motherfucking purse. Especially when they have kids. I know that to be true. Because you ain't got no money. You ain't got no money. You ain't got no ID. You ain't got shit. What you, why, why, why would you leave your purse? This woman's purse is still at her home. That is concerning. That is concerning. So these people come into this woman's house, you know, and they're like, purse is here. <laughs> like the fuck? The fuck? Do you know how scared I would be? If I walk into a friend's house who is missing and I see her purse. I don't even know. Uh, I get chills thinking about it. I literally get chills thinking about it because I can't. I can't help but be like, fuck, this woman's purse isn't, you know what I mean? Like this woman's person. I know I'm tipsy, but I'm just saying like this woman's purse isn't here. Mm. That's a big deal. So anyway. I just, I can't. There was there was no cell phone either, by the way. They there were no signs of fourth century or burglary. Her snow boots were there. Mind you, it's December. Where are they? Her snow boots were there. Where is she with no snow boots on? The police issued a bolo for the Powell's car, which was a 2005 light blue Chrysler town and country. And while the police searched the house, Jennifer called Chuck, which obviously Susan's father, and he hadn't heard from Susan Susan or Josh. Josh was was known to make impulsive decisions to go on trips in the mountains or camping. So maybe that's where they went. But it was strange for them to miss work or not talk to their daycare provider. Jennifer then called her own father, Steve, and she got her sister, Elena. No one had heard from them. She then called Kiersey, Susan's best friend. They hadn't talked since Sunday after church, but she never said that she was going anywhere. And Kiersey took the opportunity to call the Relief Society, which is a women's group, and they joined Jennifer and the Powell, I mean, at the Powell's residence. And then Kiersey reached out to Giovanna. Giovanna called Josh. He didn't answer. 
And when her son called, he answered, but her son panicked and hung up. When they called him back, Giovanna asked him where he was. He was like, we're driving around. Giovanna, where's Susan? She's at work. Josh claimed that he decided to take their two sons on a spontaneous camping trip in the middle of the night, despite freezing temperatures and a snowstorm. He said they left the house around midnight or later. According to Josh, Susan remained at home when they left. When she asked him why he didn't go to work, he said he got confused and he thought it was Sunday. Giovanna felt like he was lying. Two minutes later, Josh called Susan and left a voicemail on her phone. Susan's phone, though, was on his passenger seat right beside him. And that is the end of part one. (sighs) I really hope this... This is coherent because I'm going to tell you right now, this motherfucking Negroni Spagliato is fucking strong. I was so irritated researching this. Really? Really? And while I'm grateful that those who are listening are listening, I hate to break it to you, but we are not going to revisit this again until next week. So hold on to this. Matter of fact, when I do part ones and part twos, I actually recommend you not listen to part one until I've dropped part two because it's irritating. But at least you have the context in which all of this has happened. When my mom told me about this topic, I felt like it was imperative to start from the very beginning and have a firm understanding of who these people are, because at the end of the day, we love to be like, but he did that to her. He did that to her. But there is part of this where she did that to herself. I am not the one to sit up here and act like people who are in these type of situations are not at fault. It's twofold. People can only do what you allow them to do. So I say this to say, if you are in a situation, if it is domestic violence or anything, there are entirely too many resources that you have to get out of this. And that mental hold that whoever the fuck it is may you may feel has a hold on you, he does not. You are completely in control of what the fuck you need to do to take care of yourself. And if you have children, I'm gonna tell you right now, go ahead and take the kids somewhere the fuck else. Deal with the repercussions of kidnapping your kids. It'd be better than them being harmed. It'd be better than you being harmed. You can deal with him later. Get them out and you get out too. Don't make excuses for a motherfucker that you know is not okay. 
please don't. It's not worth it. It's not worth your life. It's not worth your kid's life. It's not worth anybody in your family's life. You can, the thing about manipulators is they will always tell you what they can do, but there's no guarantee they can do any of that shit. And so to be perfectly honest, risk it. See what happens. Call that bluff. Call that bluff. And if you have family and you have friends who are telling you to leave a motherfucker, leave that motherfucker. That is where I'm ending this episode. That's where I'm going to end it. And we'll see each other next week for part two. Peace. Peace.